Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of Monday Morning Coffee. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with Cody Farmer of uh, Main Street, Main Stream Corporation. And to my knowledge, he's a passive building expert. Cody, welcome to Inside the Firm. Hey, Alex. Appreciate it. Would that describe you? Yeah. Aficionado, expert, passioneer. Yeah. Yeah. Passive how, how did you get started in this? You know, I drank the Kool-Aid in 2010. I was doing a master's degree up at CSU. And one of my engineer buddies, a senior guy, gray hair, long hair, kind of looked like Gandalf. He said, hey, you got to check out this passive house thing. It's coming in from Germany. It targets energy load, and it's the easiest way to green. And I was, I was sustainability. Yeah. Changed everything. So this was in college. And then you just like it just turned. What were you going for? Or yeah, so it was a master's in sustainable construction, basically sustainable building construction management. But along the way, it's a lot of project management, a little bit less than green than I thought. So I actually took the passive house uh, training, the certified passive house consultant training, in 2010, right before Passive House International and Passive House US kind of split. Yeah. Okay. So is there? kind of different certifications now that they're split or yeah that's a great question they're they're very related almost as if uh fias which is the u.s institute is a little more climate specific um they were able to kind of get involved with the government programs a little easier than the internationals both of them are the easiest path to like net zero and really accurate energy model predicting which is, as an investor, the reason why I turned to Passive House uh, was because of accuracy. Believe it or not, Alex, the, the modeling programs we use right now for system sizing are, are not proven or tested in their accuracy. So they're kind of a scatter blot of accuracy. If it was a, a dartboard, let's say, you'd have darts all over the place. Gotcha. Um, what is the difference between net zero and Passive House? And what is Passive House trying to achieve? Yeah, that's great. So Passive House is a study of how to eliminate the losses from any given building envelope, including the energy usage. So it's basically a study of how to remove all the losses from the building uh, through insulation, through detailed connections. Uh, And the difference between that and net zero, let's say, um, is net zero, you can have like, you can claim your net zero, but still have a gas connection to the house, let's say. And in Passive House, it's really uh, BTU and energy input specific. Uh, and again, it's, it's based off of accuracy. So the closer you get to this Passive House standard, the less you have to do to take the building completely off grid or net zero, including no gas connection. So it, it produces all the energy that it would need through calculation. So, uh, I read a lot, (laughs) lean manufacturing is a concept that's out there. And one of the concepts of lean is eliminating waste. Passive houses seems like it's just eliminating waste, making sure waste doesn't happen. Is that one of the main goals? You know, I'm translating it into a different speak, but yeah, it's definitely about looking at, uh, at 
waste energy, for example, all the shower heat that, that a human could generate in a, in a passive house would be recovered, and we would take the temperature of that and send it to the bedrooms, let's say. So we're really not wasting very much at all. That's a great comment about lean. Okay. So yeah, let's dive into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, what? Well, actually, before we design, go into the nitty-gritty, I thought that was interesting that you said the modeling programs aren't some of them aren't accurate or it's a scatter block mm -hmm. of accurate. That's right. Which ones are you referring to? Because there's ResCheck, ComCheck, HERS rating. There's another one. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones. Yeah, are those the ones that you, you're talking about? Yeah, manual J's and all this. Well, yeah, and exactly. The, the JDS. Is, is that we, we've allowed so much mm -hmm. error into the, into the building models because we didn't know how to get them so accurate. They had so many losses in them that we kind of allow the losses as a larger uh, input or, or even a, a larger error of margin. Yeah. So there's not really another energy program or industry that takes their modeling and says, gee, we just modeled that building. How close or how accurate was our energy model? Passive House does. So Passive House Institute, Passive House Institute US, you know, they have conferences every year and you'll always find some tracks that are talking about as built, as modeled, how accurate. Right. That's interesting because I didn't know that. And I'm aware of these concepts. We have these kind of checks on different buildings, depending on what the jurisdiction wants or what the client wants. So what is the program that Passive House uses? What's it called? Oh, so there's PHPP, which is Passive House Planning Package. And then the Institute in the U.S. uses a little bit uh, more beefy program with hydrothermal modeling, which is called Woofy Passive. Mm. So two different Woofy types. is the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. I heard that one's more complex and hard to do. They're both complex and hard to do. Okay. Yeah, true talent to do those programs. So um, dive into them. What... what what are you inputting into this program? So you, you get the drawings from the architect. You get, what do you get? A Revit model, a PDF. How do you start that process if someone's coming to you? You know, that's a great question too because there's a lot of entry points. I'm sure you agree as an architect, sometimes you get a napkin drawing or, hey, I bought this program. And, and the truth is, is that we need the very basic uh, footprint and design. And because we're going to let the energy model tell us kind of the vernacular tell us how that building wants to be oriented. And I guess that's really the passive nature of it is this energy modeling program is going to teach us through any given building what our free heat is, what our free cooling could be, uh, what's the best orientation to grab those items, free heat and free cooling. Uh, so every, is there too much windows? Wait a minute, what about this window? It's $20,000 more. Is it worth that? We input all those things and we have a conversation with the energy model. And as I'm looking over at this dartboard in your awesome garage here, yeah. you know, I would say that passive house is the practice of getting the center bullseye. Um, and so once you get in that first green circle, that red circle becomes much more attainable. And I would say that's with kind of net zero calculation is that with a PHPP or a Woofy passive program, the accuracy is going to be, uh, going to be there. So if we were going to land on the moon, and we were using energy modeling right. software, we would want to be in the passive house. Yes, you want to be accurate. Right. You don't want to send a billion-dollar satellite to Mars 
and have some people working in centimeters and some people working in, you know, uh, inches and then it crashes the because did you, that's actually that's what it. happened once. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Great. Exactly. It crashed and they're like, what happened? They're like, oh, we didn't convert. Wow. <laughs> some people built it this way. Some people built it the other way. We put it together and uh, we just lost that. I'm sure it was more than a billion dollars because it was a government satellite thing. So <laughs> I'm sure it was a lot. Well uh, said. So is there a, oh, and uh, a lot of you know, all of the interviews I have, I think, is this going to be beneficial to our audience? That's the first criteria. And that's what we go off. Okay. Everyone should know in first disclosure, uh, disclosure, though, I'm also selfishly using this for myself. I know that they're interested, but I'm interested in it. And I don't have a deep knowledge of it. So I'm just coming at you with maybe normal questions that anyone might have, but also that I have, um, that makes sense. Is there, so does local, uh, cities, jurisdictions, authorities having jurisdictions is the acronym that the textbooks like to use. (laughs) Do they have an equivalent, you know, let's say you don't meet the R values or you want to do a res check or a HERS rating Mm -hmm. is passive house allowed and is it, oh, if you meet passive house, just like if you meet hers, you, you're good. Or do they convert it like a passive house score of whatever? I don't even know if it's one to a hundred mm-hmm. equals a hers rating of 20. Can you expand on that general question? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the truth of it is, is that, um, when, when you're looking at these models, the code and the real world's not really sure what to do with the amount of information that it kicks out and some of the details that it has. So, in fact, recently, Mainstream Corporation in Larimer County um, sponsored a code talk that said, basically, hey, Passive House meets uh, the energy codes. You know, why, why is it so hard for us to get these, uh, you know, accurate heating and cooling loads through the permitting process? And the answer is because the critter looks so different uh, that they're not quite sure what they're looking at. And unfortunately, we're such a geeky group of people, you know, that gets excited about talking about BTUs and window details and this and that, that people instantly glaze over. So the answer is that we're working on that because we think it should be simpler and, and faster and easier to permit a building that actually exceeds code's expectations we just have to figure out a way to communicate that to the local jurisdictions. Yeah. I was having a conversation because I wanted to do something a little bit different and I wasn't going to meet the prescriptive codes. I was going to do performance. Yeah. And I go, what are you looking at for the HERS rating? And the, uh, she answered honestly. She goes, I look at the cover sheet and if it says pass, you're good. <laughs> so it all boils down to convincing someone that all of your hard work is true and better than the code and that there's a pass on the top of that paper, whatever that spit out. So that might help you knowing that the building person actually reviewing it is looking for P-A-S-S. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I need a little red check mark, you know, in the boxes or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true to help them do their job easier, you know. They've got a lot to do. Oh, yes. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, So... it's a um, it's an ongoing process. You get this model. You, you talked about that. 
-hmm. and it gives you this information and is, and maybe this isn't the right way to think about it, but is the, I almost think the net result is obviously a better building Mm -hmm. and it goes back to the details and that informs where you place windows, how you detail stuff, what insulation. Is that the end result of it or is the end result also an 80 page document saying things just like a HERS check or a manual JDNS. I don't even know. They probably don't even look at those either. They probably just look manual J. Does it, do, do they have one? Great. Good. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it is. I think they have many, What is this PHPP? What is this yeah. Wolfie passive? Yeah. Uh, we have a summary page yeah. that kind of gives you those, those check marks. So, you know, you have like, did you meet your primary energy demand? Green check. You know, did you meet your heating demand per square foot? green check mark yep did you meet your cooling demand red check mark oh why why do we have overheating going on here so there's definitely a dashboard and behind that dashboard could be 37 pages of spreadsheet grittyism yep that could make even the hardest engineer just fall asleep gotcha gotcha so good well i hope i hope that the institute everyone that you're working with gets that accepted by the building code is Here's the cover sheet. Yeah, it makes it a little here, easier. Here are four check marks because they are green. They are meeting everything you need to know. Yeah. Um, then hopefully they say, oh, great. You know, and give the thumbs up. So let's pretend you're working on um, a, a house. Let's just say a house. Mm-hmm. What are the passive, the active, and you already went over inactive, but you could touch on that. Mm-hmm. Systems that you are incorporating into the building to make it a passive house? You know, and that's a great question because it opens up the fact that passive house is very open, open. There's no like key ingredient. Like you're not going to come sit in our office and have us tell you what kind of wall assembly you have to choose. Uh, It's more about how, like we have a rammed earth passive house. How, you know, the, the client's first question was, can we? And we said, you always can. The question is how? So it, it's really, you can take a lot of, and it's, it's a negotiation really with the energy model. Um, I really want these West facing windows. Okay. Put a R a hundred under your slab. Does it meet the model now? Yes or no. If not, try another. So you're really working with vernacular as it ties into nature. And so that equation of balance where what I want to see is also performing to the model the way it wants it to be. Gotcha. So you made a great point. And this is actually where I want to go into these details. Mm-hmm. West-facing windows, you said insulation under the slab. That's cool. unintuitive, isn't it? it? It It is almost to me. It's like, oh, I think I'm 90% there. But I think you can close the 10%. Why are you doing that? Well, and so that's just a random guess. It could be that we're going to add 100 in the attic in order to make those west-facing windows. Or that we have to put a 10-foot overhang so it doesn't overheat in the summer in order to meet the standard. So it's more about the negotiation of if. So if I have a really skinny building that's facing north and south, it's not going to grab a lot of that south-facing sun, but it may, in fact, overheat every night when the sun sets. Yep. If there's too much glazing, if there's not enough glazing, then we're not going to get enough heat. 
if there's too much windows, we lose too much R value. So this negotiation is a fine dance of the passive housers as they work those energy models, you know, just to kind of uh, overlay or show us where the, the yellow brick road is and get us to the Olympics with this certified passive house building. Yeah. Are there people who want to utilize this system and the knowledge? Because as I'm hearing more and more of it, I literally thought what you explained was true, especially like, let's just say with a manual JDNS. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're putting in the furnace, a couple things, and then, oh, here's the R values, here's some windows on these sides, and I might even be thinking of a res check. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's getting you to like a 15% guess of where you're going to be, if that. Now, you're, they don't say it like that, but that's in my head. I'm like, oh, you're just saying, hey, it's, it's good. You know, mm-hmm. it'll work. This seems like, oh, somehow whoever made this <clears throat> figured out how much sun heat, you know, is coming, what the temperature is going to be, what that temperature is on different sides all four sides plus the roof plus the ground temperature uh what those wall systems how they actually perform or leak and then test that in reality and then change the system and update it so that it models that it almost reminds me i'm sure nasa has something similar mm-hmm. when they're building a space station oh they've got it yeah you know like oh this is actually what's going to happen mm-hmm. and just applying that level of thought, science, and detail down to a house. That's it. That's it. I mean, and the, the goal was to heat your, heat your house with uh, equivalent energy as a hairdryer, which actually there's a video out there that shows that actually being done. So our 16,100 watt light bulbs, uh, such a micro load that you could have a party in, you know, in the middle of winter and all of a sudden your house is overheating. Yeah. There's no, no energy is escaping the envelope. Yeah. Um, and is that the first big thing to tackle? Well, it's holistic. So that's the first thing is that, you know, when I first started studying it and looking into green building and things like that, Passive House is very holistic. So we're looking at everything in the energy model and then we're looking at everything else, you know, outside in the field to the point where, you know, we talk a lot about net zero and the severe reduction of energy. But what happens is on the inside, we have to prove that our, our set temperature, let's say in the winter, is 72 and in the weakest spot of the building we need to show that it's no different than seven degrees off that set point in the dead cold of winter that's comfort that's a huge dose of comfort and on top of it we've been proven to have cleaner air than any other building design and that's because we're removing negative pressure from the building as a source of ventilation so there's these huge paradigm shifts uh, that you encounter when you start studying the passive house Do you have any, this is a very general statement and I know it's frustrating on both sides when an expert can't answer a general statement because everything is different. Um, but it, it's also frustrating to get those questions also because it, you know, like how much does it cost to design a building? Right. Whoa, that's a can of worms there. (laughs) So know that I know where my question is coming from in general. Do you have a reference just to get something solid in someone's head? Oh, a normal house of 2,000 square feet, I'm making up these numbers, you can correct, would take, you could expect this much energy. If that same house was a passive house, and maybe it's percentages, Mm -hmm. it uses this much energy. What is that? What are those general numbers, percentages, ways of looking at it? 
Yeah, primarily we're looking at the uh, the heating load, and it, so on top of that, once you reduce all that, everything else trickles down, except water, really. So water, mm-hmm. you look at separate. Water usage. Water right? usage, exactly, yeah. exactly. So traditionally, you know, you're seventy to ninety percent less heating and cooling required in a passive house. Gotcha. Does um. I guess I was going to ask if that trickles down to lights, but your lights, there's only so much you can do in a passive or non-passive house with LEDs. It doesn't have to be passive to you. Your light requirement is almost independent. That's right. A lot of variables are being solved in the field, such as LEDs. You know, now that we have those options, those are standard loads uh, that get input into an energy model, similar to like energy star appliances. When you have something wacko like a hot tub or a kiln, Mm-hmm. You know, we really drill into those at different well levels. Gotcha. Um, when you're looking at creating an airtight mm-hmm. structure in conventional stick built, mm-hmm. what are you doing differently to make it airtight? We're identifying the specific materials in the assembly that are going to resist air in a way that's going to last for 100 years. So there's a lot of ways to do that, but one of the easiest ways to just target your shear wall and then as we're looking out the window here of your garage, how that building's connected to the concrete is also a huge opportunity. So the airtightness of a building, again, is a holistic thing where we're looking at what your lid is, what your radon mat is, how all of those tie together, which is called continuity. Got so it. the air barrier continuity. And then what is the uh, perm rating of all those materials? And is that going to increase or decrease our uh, hydrothermal motion in our walls? Do you typically in Colorado, we have our uh, water vapor, you know, house wrap on the outside, mm-hmm. vapor, air barrier on the inside. Do you is it do you keep that or do you combine them all on one layer on the outside? Is that typical or not? Or there, bo- there's no one way, and so there's so many different ways to make an advanced envelope. You know, you've seen probably what seven to ten probably on your desk. You know. Mm-hmm. Or you could have ICF, SIPs, right. double stud, on and on. And so the location of all those is different, hence the four-colored frog pin. Because each layer has to be drawn. So green is your vapor. Red is your air. Blue is your, your water-resistive barrier. So your bulk water, which could be Tyvek, but probably isn't. So I, I just picked it up. Thanks for bringing these pens. Blue is water. That's right. Green is vapor. Vapor. Red is air barrier. Air. And then black is just you're taking notes. Just taking notes. Very cool. Oh, that's awesome. So those are the details you'll be producing or or be identifying as a passive house or when you're designing a passive house. You're going to call all those details out because those layers have to fit together with connection and consistency, which builds the continuity. So we don't have any air drips, air leaks. Anything sneaking in, we know where everything's connected. Yep. I think one thing that made people afraid of passive houses back in the day, well, there's probably a couple of things. Probably sure. people think it's going to be astronomical costs. Anything that is touting superiority, people immediately say, that's great, but how much does it cost? Mm-hmm. But I don't even know. If, maybe we can address that. Um, but the other thing was air exchanges and health. And you briefly just said great quality air. What was that an issue in the past? Was that a myth? What are, what's happening now that's different from that? If it wasn't a myth. 
Sure. And, and we funded, Mainstream funded some research kind of to uncover that. So some researchers have been to our buildings to check. And the results of those were not as good as that we had hoped. Yeah. Um, but they didn't compare that to what's going on in average right now. So if we look at the whole gamut, like is a passive house air quality better than, than the average home? And it's hands down. It absolutely is. And the research supported that. Is that it, the air quality in passive house is better. Yeah. But the, the thesis was, does it remove the contamination as fast as it should? And the answer is no. And that makes sense because most of our equipment isn't large enough to handle the air exchange that we need in a residence. So oftentimes you're finding things that are undersized. And so this year being the year of ventilation and COVID and mm -hmm. fire, our phones are blowing off the hook because we're solving those problems. So... COVID in particular is an airborne, you know, disease yeah. and, and it's kind of like drinking backwash. If you're sharing your beer, if you measure the CO2 level in this room between you and I, yeah. and it's higher than 800 PPM, well then we're breathing each other's air a little bit. Yep. And so therefore our ventilation system would kick in and provide fresh filtered air. Well, a passive house is always doing that. A passive house is always removing the pollution from the polluted areas and putting fresh air in the areas where you need, like a meeting room or where you sleep. So allergy and asthma-friendly buildings. No smoke and fire in the buildings. Anti-COVID buildings. So it's is it smarter? Because I, what you said, our system, I almost guarantee you, is not measuring what you just said and then doing doing that. We're just sitting here six feet apart, something like that. Um, but the passive house has that system in there. That's right. It's That's just part a standard of, thing. Yep. Is that we want to recover all the waste energy created by human activity, whether that's uh, cooking or showering uh, or just breathing. We don't want to just send that air out without taking the temperature first. So the energy recovery ventilation systems, which we prefer to use in Colorado because they also retain some of the humidity. Mm. So our passive house buildings will retain about 10% higher humidity level than the average building without adding humidity. It's just recapturing some of the humidity that you generate in the house. Mm. Anyway, so we're recovering all that energy and sending it back in in a balanced way. All the buildings made to code are negatively pressurized, and that's what they consider ventilation, is if you take a shower, you turn on a bath fan, and you send that air out. Yep. Like everyone does here in, almost everyone listening is probably not in a passive house right now. Right. So they, they take a shower, they turn it on, they do a no-no in the bathroom, they turn it on when the shower's done or the no-no's done, they wash their hands, they leave the bathroom, the bathroom fan turns off. Yep. There's one problem. So the bathroom fan turns off is one problem. The second problem is when you turn that bathroom fan on, there's not a door or anything that opens that lets in fresh filtered air to normalize the pressure in your house. So when a house is depressed, pressurized you're right you're leaking radon you're leaking wall dust you're leaking dust from the attic from fibrous insulations and so in passive house we take authority in blocking those out and i want to just clarify this so what's happening is that the pressure and isn't it something like 27 pounds an inch or something at the atmospheric pressure anyways it's more than what you would think because we're all living in it and it feels just fine, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that pressure is putting pressure on your house, whether you know it or not, 
and then you're taking air out of the house so it's pushing through on all sides that it possibly can and it's capturing like you said dust from the attic radon from the ground and it's bringing those into your house without you knowing it is that a correct a a house that's average that most all of the people live in yeah so then now in a passive house it's airtight so if you blow air out it's not coming in from walls floors it because you have that continuous so where is it coming from and what's happening that's right. So the same amount of air comes in as fresh air from the ERV, the Energy Recovery Ventilation System, uh, a zender. You know, creates a zen room kind of concept where you you have this constant fresh, clean air. You don't have a new house smell. You don't have a new car smell. It just smells naturally fresh air. No allergies. And since the pressure is similar inside as it is outside, you've taken the stress off of your building. So when the sun rises and sets. The, the water doesn't want to migrate towards inside because of the depressurization you know, inside the building. It, it can stay pressurized outside the building, so to speak. Does that energy, uh, the ventilation system, um, does it have an air filter in it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we got HEPA filters coming in, Zenders, and uh, they replace your bathroom fan. And so it's a fancy bathroom fan that saves 90% of all your energy and provides your bedroom with fresh filtered oxygenated air so people sleep better and fresh. Awesome. Um, So in my head, exploring this, you know, with with the listeners, we have the air tightness. Mm -hmm. We also have the uh, thermal Mm -hmm. tightness. Um, And I want you to touch on the R values. Then we have... I want to call it the smart system, the smart air system, and the energy recovering system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we move on from that, let's talk R values. What R values are you typically seeing? Sure. So you're going to see in the Colorado area, um, like right here in Longmont, let's say, like an R40 wall, and you'll probably have an R60 to 70 in your attic. The interesting thing, though, is you're going to have sub-slab insulation similar to your wall. So like maybe it's an R40 uh, on your wall slabs and then under the slab uh, you might have like an R30 or you might have like 6 to 10 inches of, of foam uh, which isn't environmentally you know sound to us greenies but you know we're working on alternative ways of using insulation and getting the foam out of the manufacturing you know gotcha and application of our houses I was just looking up air pressure 14.7 pounds per inch not, there you go. I think Natural. I said 20 something, but 14.7. Hey, that was close. You yeah. Decimals. There you go. Is <laughs> it in the ballpark? I'll, I'll take that. Um, okay. So uh, if we can clarify just a few things, yes, because yes. Know, there's these basic seven steps that if you took the passive house Kool-Aid, if you drank the Kool-Aid and you liked the Kool-Aid, which most do, like architects and builders and owners primarily are building these passive houses because they had to take matters in their own hands. Kool-Aid is delicious too. So yeah, I was a Kool-Aid kid too. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) So there's these steps that you could apply to any building though. So, and they're common sense too. They're kind of like what our grandparents taught us. Like, yeah, you know, double pane windows or storm windows. So you have, you have beefier windows indoors. So that costs a little more. Uh, You have sometimes twice the insulation. So, so that costs a little more. You've got this detail, this detailed air tightness, 
Um, and that costs a little more. So in your envelope, which is interesting because the envelope, the things that you put into Passive House are kind of like your Sam's Club membership where you're buying a discount on your groceries all year. Well, in Passive House, you're prepaying your utility expenses for the life of the building. So the installation, you know, it's forever. Uh, a good European window is going to last pretty much forever. You know, yep. all these major things. So that comes back to some of your mechanical talks. I'm getting off chart a little bit because I'm really talking about the six principles, which yeah. is you start with energy modeling. You're going to add the insulation level uh, to the climate. So that's basically step two is you wouldn't be, you know, wearing a bikini on a beach in Alaska because right. you would freeze. So let's not build a house in Florida over-insulated or under-insulated, for example. Okay. Uh, so you're going to break thermal bridges. That's step three. Then you're going to have good doors and windows, step four. And then five, you're going to add that energy recovery ventilation system, which replaces your bathroom fan. Um, and then you're going to look at all the appliances and your electric load is done, you know, six. And then there's a seventh step, too. So yeah. there's basically these seven steps that can be overlaid on any building, on any builder could use these. And a lot of them are to the point where it's dangerous. Meaning? So if you go to a new home builder right now in a, in a development and you ask them, um, do you build them tight? The builder's going to say, oh, yeah, we build some of the tightest buildings here. And then of you're going to say, well, do you have bathroom fans? And they say, oh, yeah, we got bathroom fans. And then you say, where does the fresh air come in at when you turn on the bathroom fan? And that's where the conversation pretty much ends. Yeah. That may, it, it's like you know enough to be dangerous, essentially. Um, also, too, be, I, I get the question about price mm-hmm. a lot, about price. too. And maybe you'll maybe have a better answer for this. But to me, it seems like a much better quality house, but also quality in the sense of air, livability, sickness, and all that. And... I think some people always think about prices. Oh, if I pay double the price, am I going to get double the value? Or, or you know, they that's how they think in their head, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, most people have bought cars, right? Oh, yeah. Good comparison. I've bought sh- shitty cars <laughs> because I was in college and poor, and, and I've bought cars that are twice as expensive as that. Trucks, things like that. Do they go twice as fast? No. Do they get twice as good gas mileage? No. Is it, I don't own a Lexus, but I've, you know, been, is it a Lexus and it feels much better and all the controls are perfect and it's not going to break down as much? Does that exactly, am I saving exactly as much as twice the cost on maintenance costs and hassle? Maybe not, but I'm 30 something years old. I'm going to, I'm going to be in a Lexus. I'm not going to be in a $2,000 junker Dodge, you know, uh, whatever from 1996, so I think there's a disconnect sometimes between, and it's just the way some people are thinking, mm-hmm. am I going twice as fast? You know, no. Yeah. Am I getting twice as much gas mileage? No, but <laughs> do you want to be in the Lexus? Or you want to be in the, you know, whatever car you think is not great. Um, and how do you fit a client into that? You know, without test driving that Lexus or say, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think you're going to want the Lexus. And then they, you convince them that without even having to drive it. And here it is built, and it's supposed to act like a Lexus. Well, that's, that's where that institute comes in. That third-party institute comes in and says, yeah, 
it's it's going to meet this. We've we've ran over the calculations and the experience shows us and yeah. And and the reason I bring up Lexus is because yeah. I just bought well not recently. My wife has a Kia and she used to have. I'm, I won't even name something. You know what it was before. And this one's nice. It has all these features, tinted windows. You know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But we test drive the Lexus and it was a little bit of a. Uh, later you know it wasn't as new mm-hmm. and we decided not to get it but after getting that kia and realizing how nice all these features are you go oh the features in that lexus though yeah. you know like and lexus isn't even the pinnacle that you know i was like i can see how nice that car was after doing one step up you know mm-hmm. to do that other step up but unless i did that test drive in that Lex, you know, how am I selling that? Like, no, no, you're going to like this better. This works better. It's a hard job. Mm-hmm. And I would admit that, that you got a hard job to, to, to sell that. I, I mean, it, it might've been used to be hard. I think it's common sense now. And I think that the world's getting educated to the point where it's, um, it's the same kind of paradigm shift as the organic food. Mm. You know, why would I want a bathroom fan? in my house, knowing that every time a child used it, I'm bringing in more radon, or I'm bringing in wall dust, or I actually don't have any air coming in until someone, please open the door. Yeah. It's, so there's a lot of common sense there, but so to dovetail into price. So price is, a, price is elastic, right? Because I mean, if I want metal roofing, you know, it's four times more expensive than asphalt. If I want real stone, uh, you know, lick and stick is three times more expensive than natural raw stone. If I want granite in the kitchen and on and on. So can you do it affordably? Absolutely. People are all the time. Where are the places you save money? Those are the questions. Because everybody's going to want the granite. Everyone wants the leather couch or the leather seats too, right? In the yeah. car. And they want it turbo too. So they want it to be comfortable. They want to be healthy and enriched in their lives. Um, and passive house is a good investment protector too, because again, you're prepaying your expenses down for the life of the building really. So in an affordable passive house, maybe you won't have radiant floor, which has a premium of about 30,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get the Vermont cast, uh, iron stove off of Craigslist for 1400 bucks. Yep. And that's what you can do in a passive house. Cause you don't have all the losses around the, every bedroom. So you can go to point distribution, heat load and cooling load or central. Yep. Cause you don't have the losses that, that involves stacking and, you know, and shaping too. Yeah. So. Um, as an architect, I see a value in the system and the process and mm-hmm. the steps that, that you laid out, but does anyone come and this is a hard sell on, on me, but, um, I, I almost like, like the ideas. So much so that, hey, we want to go down this process. Mm-hmm. But we even realize because we actually run the gamut. We run the gamut from million dollar homes with everything in it down to um, small additions to people that have a modest budget, but they realize these benefits and they have hard income limits. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there is no changing their income. There is no changing this equation. And, you know... They want some of this, but you know, they don't want the crappiest dishwasher in the world either, you know? So have you seen anyone come that says, Hey, we want to go through this process and, but 
eventually we might realize, okay, we're not going to do double the insulation. We're going to do 1.5, 1.25. We'll do the continuous and the ERV, but we aren't going to do, we aren't going to upgrade the windows to double because it actually costs four times as much. So we, you know, and all of a sudden this seems valuable to me, but it's hard because the building officials aren't, aren't on the same page as, oh, we got a pass, fail, pass, fail, pass. But those two fails are still better than the code. That's it. And, but the building official goes, I don't give a crap. <laughs> One, we don't even recognize it. <laughs> but two, you got two Fs on there. So, but do you get what I, d- does anyone do that? And like, okay, yeah. we're going through the process, but we aren't meeting passive house, but at least we, we did smarter. Yeah. And you've got every like passive house greenwasher kind of concepts where you got Mick passive houses, right? That's kind of oh. the coin thing. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, us passive housers, it's really about doing the thought process right. Like, are we breaking the thermal bridges? Do we have inconsistent levels of insulation? Like, is it okay for your wall to go from an R10 to an R20? And in our mind, it's not. It should all be R20. It should be consistent and have perfect continuity, really. Does it change on where you're facing? Is it, that- it, it, not unless it's the window. You know, okay. If we can help it, we don't want it to change. And we want the window to be as insulative as the wall if we can. But, you know, we're mm-hmm. getting there. The answer is yes. A lot. There's there's bunches and bunches of people drinking the Kool-Aid and creating their dangerous science experiments. And they're also going to the professionals and engaging them. And, hey, at the end of the day, let's face it. When you design a building and it looks beautiful and perfect and you, you put it in the Olympic tryouts, which is the passive house planning package or Woofy Passive, and you find out that it, it doesn't meet, you're still so close, so, so much better than the average building looking at details that people aren't looking at that should be looking at. I encourage everyone to, to really put the passive house principles on any building they design and, and they'll make it better. Just they'll open their eyes in ways that they'll never build the same again. Awesome. Well, Cody, this has been a very fun and informational uh, segment. So I'm happy you came down. I'm happy we could do this in person, but I'll let you take us out. <clears throat> One, if anyone wants to contact you, how, how to do it, unless you don't want them to, then you can say, <laughs> screw off, don't contact me. And then you can leave the audience with anything you'd like, any thoughts on passive house or anything on life, whatever you want to do. The end of the show is yours. Wow. Well, first you can find us at mainstreamcorporation.com. And the, uh, the adjective is to live utilityfree.com because mainstream corporation didn't mean a lot to everybody. And we've been that for many years. So we help people live utility free. Um, and I think important right now to know is that the air inside your building, the air inside your schools is really the contributor. Let's look at that. And you can do really a great job of ventilation with energy recovery. It doesn't cost a lot more. And, you know, you get your CO2 levels down. And most important with that, once your CO2 levels down, everybody can start having fun again. So let's, let's get smart again and start having more fun again and build buildings that are anti-COVID. So I think the passive house uh, industry at large is really doing well because it's anti-COVID. You, you're ventilating the building so well that you know you're not breathing my air over there and i'm not breathing your over there and and we can have a party at the bar so awesome thanks a lot cody thank you